We are progressing through these opening chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, once again, reminding you that there really are some fundamental theological and worldview lessons uh, that emerge from this uh, section of Genesis, especially. And God having given that to us so that we can understand and interpret the world uh, that we're living in. So we are going to be looking mainly at the opening verses of Genesis 12, but there is a context. So we will read a little bit uh, at the end of chapter 11 and then move on uh, to the next chapter as well. So thank you for joining me tonight and uh, do trust that there will be some encouragement uh, for you in this passage as we consider it together. So let's just bow our heads as we pray together. Father, thank you once again for opportunity that we can share together. And Lord, this is a, an unusual way of, of uh, gathering and, and sharing in the Word. But we thank you for technology, for opportunities given us. And we do pray that even uh, these words tonight would once again just encourage us and show us more and more just of your, uh, your love, your foundations given us to understand the world. And Lord, understanding your uh, salvation plan uh, right from the very beginning of, of time. And so bless our time together as we commend each other to you. And asking this, Lord, that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, teach us. And just engrave these words on our hearts, we pray. Amen. So do turn with me to Genesis 11, and I'm going to read from verse 27. And again, we're picking up some uh, of the genealogy over there. These are the generations of Terah. Uh, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of, and of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Then we get to chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
And from there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So just so far, the, the reading of, of the word. And uh, turning now to this uh, passage and uh, looking at these verses. In fact, moving on uh, right to the end of chapter 12 as well. So we do need to remember that right at the beginning, of course, God created uh, the earth and all its wonderful beauty and diversity. And remember God's assessment at the time that it was good. But we know, of course, it wasn't long before the the harmony, the perfection and paradise of God's kingdom became tainted with the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And as a result of their disobedience, there was uh, God keeping his word, uh, keeping his promise that if they were to disobey him, that they would surely die. And then we see sin just entering into the picture, God uh, cursing the beautiful place that he had made and uh, the sin uh, spreading through the generations and all of that defiling God's good design. And eventually we see the anger of God being provoked. Genesis chapter 6 verse 7. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. And we know the story so well. Uh, there's the flood. And uh, the destruction of everything other than Noah and his family. And so there's a new beginning after the flood. And we see that again, God's kingdom on earth continues. And uh, perhaps just to remind you, as I have done in the past, that there is always this continuation of the seed of the woman. The necessity in the unfolding purposes of God, his redemptive purposes in bringing about generation after generation after generation to ultimately bring about the seed of the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent and that occurring thousands of years later in the coming of Jesus in the fullness of time. Well, there is this new beginning and uh, things look promising for Noah in some senses of the word, building an altar to the Lord and offering burnt offerings in chapter 8, verse 20. Not to forget that horrible incident where we see some of his uh, own decadence emerging with him being drunk and then his daughters taking advantage um, of him. Well, sin stays in the picture. And there's the slide back into rebellion, the defiance of God as the order of the day. We considered this last time and the building of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And people unite. They work together in opposition against God and his kingdom purposes. And, and again, just a, a comment that we need to take note of. This constant conflict uh, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Perhaps as we would see it today, this constant conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so we see with Babel, humanly speaking, the kingdom again is under serious threat. And, but God intervenes. God's plan continues to unfold. And as a result of his intervention, people are scattered all over the face of the earth. Chapter 11, verse 9. 
and the rebels are defeated and God's purposes stand, God remains victorious. Now, we get to a point in the unfolding of these redemptive purposes of God where he takes a next step in this kingdom plan. And the question I want us to consider in the first instance is, well, who who will God use? What, what kind of person? Uh, what does God do in setting his love upon an individual, somebody that he calls and somebody that he gives a huge responsibility to in the unfolding of his purpose? And so just the first point, uh, I want us to think about this question, who will God use? Well, the family tree that I read at the end of chapter 11 uh, provides some important information about this candidate that God uses. Not only are we told that his father is Terah and his wife is Sarai, but he adds a very, very important statement. Now Sarai, chapter 11, verse 30, was barren. She had no child. <laughs> barren is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. God's ways are so contrary to the ways of man in the way that we would work. We would have selected in our thinking the best candidate, the most promising candidate, the candidate with the most fertile wife, the importance again of the successive generations producing uh, the ultimate seed of the woman. She's barren. And, and so there's, there's no human, there's no human power to invent a future. Not only Sarai, but we see even in later generations the same uh, message coming through. There's Rebecca, there's Rachel, there's Hannah. They all suffer with this affliction of infertility. And I want to repeat that phrase. There's no human power to invent a future. And there needs to be a future. God has promised a future. And Noah, at least if we look back, Noah had three sons and three daughters-in-law. But Abram has no future at all. There are no children. There can't be any children. She's barren. And so, humanly speaking, it seems like this is the end of the line. For this particular branch of the family tree, how can a couple like this add anything to the future of God's kingdom? And then to make matters worse, Abram comes from a long line of idol worshippers. You can read that uh, in Joshua chapter 24 verse 2, uh, looking back at this particular time, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father-in-law of Abram and of Naor, and they served other gods. <laughs> Humanly speaking, Abram is an unsuitable candidate. Is an unsuitable choice to do what God has in mind. God calls an unlikely candidate. Chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. God intervenes in this man's life. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's another display of grace. Abram didn't deserve it. He was an idol worshiper. It's God that takes the initiative. Salvation is of the Lord. God has a plan. God uses instruments of his choosing. And so God calls 
this man, Abram, to break completely with his past and to start anew under God and for God. He must sever his roots, he must leave his country and his people, he is to leave behind the security and comfort of all that is familiar. He is to go at a point, at this point, to an unknown destination. Simply says to us in chapter 12, verse 1, a land that I will show you is what God says to him. So who does God use? Unlikely, undeserving candidate without promise. But what will God do is the next question. Well, the Lord encourages Abraham, the wonderful verses uh, spoken and recorded for us, seven great promises in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Uh, we know that seven is the number of completion or perfection in, in the Hebrew thinking and world. And so the promises that God gives to Abraham are really complete and perfect. Five times these promises contain the word Blessing. Now, now, now remember, remember we've come through a season of, of judgment and uh, wrath, cursing, because people deserve it. There's a fundamental worldview uh, conviction that, that you need to take hold of, that this world does not deserve anything kind and, and gracious and merciful from the hand of God. People are in rebellion to God. That is the tendency of, of people. In fact, I read it again, even in chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, man's heart is evil. And, and, and yet, so now we see this kingdom plan, and I like the word redemption plan. The unfolding of redemption plan. Five times these promises contain blessing, uh, blessings that uh, are mentioned, God's blessings to Abram, a gracious counterbalance to the curses against fallen humanity which we've seen in the preceding chapters and so God ob obligates himself to Abram and, and of course uh, just again to mention God operating through covenant uh, giving undertakings this is what God does he gives undertakings I will I will I will is what he does as he assigns him uh, this task well, these seven promises from God contain three different areas of blessings. I'll just mention them. Uh, he mentions that there are going to be some great things he has in mind for him personally. Uh, chapter 12, verse 2, I will make of you, that is Abram, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So there's, there's an encouragement to this uh, man, Abraham. But then we also see God extends the blessing to his contemporaries. The third verse. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then thirdly, the third area is that God extends the blessing from Abram to all the nations. And in you, verse 3b, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's important for us to see, uh, looking back at this uh, early unfolding of God's redemptive plan and purpose, because each of his blessings have an ever-widening sphere of impact. Uh, God's kingdom plan goes, about, uh, goes beyond Canaan. The favor of God, yes, he will show to Abram in the local setting, 
it is also universal in design. Something that we see even repeated uh, when Jesus uh, commands or gives the great commission to his disciples before his ascension. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Do you see how consistent the Bible is in its unfolding uh, of God's redemptive purpose? Uh, Long-term implications we know. Uh, Isn't it amazing what God is planning to do, what God is going to do, what God did do through this unlikely candidate? Well, the next verse, verse 4, makes a surprising statement about this unlikely or this hopeless person's response to the call of God. So what does the servant do? What does Abram do? Well, verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, there's no, there's no haggling at this point. There's, there's, there's no questioning or consultation with others. Abram shows unquestioning trust in the Lord he obeys. God had spoken. God had revealed certain promises to him. God had given him command. Abram responds. Now, one wonders, how is that possible? And, and we have some insight given us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, uh, referring back to Abram. And I'll just read again the verse. We did consider this some months ago, maybe even a year or so ago. Hebrews 11, verse 8. eight by, by faith, you see, there's faith comes from hearing and the hearing the word of God. Faith is not some sort of leap in the dark. Faith is a response to the promises of God. Faith is a response to the word of God, to that which God has revealed. So by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And so he gathers his family, he gathers his goods, his worldly possessions, and they set out for the land that God will show him. Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all the possessions that they had gathered, the people they had acquired in Haran, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And then they arrive in the land of Canaan. Now, we're not told anything about the long journey. We understand it's something like a 400-mile journey, and a somewhat difficult journey in those days. Uh, much of it done walking, camels, uh, hard, hard terrain, uh, but they get there. That's not so important. But when they arrive in Canaan, we are given some details. The whole pace of the story slows down, and uh, you see some of, of the detail. Abram passes through the land of Canaan, and he does so from north to south. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites, Canaanites were in the land. Now Shechem, just to pause there for a minute, was a place uh, at the very center of the land of Canaan. And there was a famous Canaanite shrine, the great tree of Moreh, known as a soothsayer's tree. This is where the Canaanites, we're told in Judges chapter 9 verse 37, this is where the Canaanites sought to hear the oracles from their many gods. The writer at the, at this time adds, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. 
Now, these people were the descendants of Canaan, the grandson whom Noah had cursed back in chapter 9, verse 25. So, one would think, if you were in Abram's shoes, that this would be somewhat discouraging. Coming into this place, uh, dominated by uh, Canaanites, those who were worshipping other gods, non-gods, dominating in that particular area. But he's obeyed God's call. And so what does he do? He's heard... He's heard the blessings from God. He's heard the promises from God. And yes, he finds himself among a cursed people at the center of their worship. And, and so what does he do? What does he do? Will he doubt his ability or, or God's promises? Uh, will he decide simply to go home because now things are going to be tough? No. Well, it's at this time, again, God appears to Abraham and says, chapter 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So, so what does he do? There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, very interesting. Back in uh, those days, the building of an altar seemed to be quite common. And so in the center of this land of Canaan, the center of this place of the worship of other gods, uh, and in view of this Canaanite shrine at the tree at Moreh, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. Then he moves further south and he does something similar. He repeats the exercise. Verse 8. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east, and he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Noah did the same thing in Genesis 8. When he stepped out the ark, he built an altar to the Lord, dedicating that particular place. Uh, to wish to the worship of God. Now, let's just try and review a little bit of what's going on here. Abram is in the land that God has promised to him and his offspring. He sees all these Canaanite worship, uh, false gods and, and, and sacred shrines. And so what does he do? With, within sight of these shrines, he builds altars to the only true God, and, and Abraham, as it were, raises uh, the flag. He claims uh, the promises of God, uh, affirming his belief in that which God is to do. And so in these key locations, in strategic places, uh, moving his tents, and he goes and lives near the trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar, he raises the Lord's flag of ownership. This is the Lord's country. This is where the Lord is king. Just to quote uh, theologian and commentator John Kelvin, and uh, he interprets these actions by Abram, and this is what he says. Abram endeavored as much as in him, uh, as much as in him lay, to dedicate to God every part of the land to which he had access, and he perfumed it with the odor of, of his faith. Well, we get to uh, some application. What does this mean uh, to you? How does this minister to us in the midst of this world that we are living in? And let's not forget that uh, we are living in a world where it seems darkness is dominating. It does seem as again the seed of the serpent uh, 
uh, is infiltrating and has infiltrated and influenced society uh, to such a great and large extent. I have one uh, encouraging, urging, I think that would be the word exhortation that I would want to leave with you in the light of this passage. Don't give up. It's hard. I was just speaking to someone yesterday, uh, working in a context in a local school where there's so much ungodliness and there just doesn't seem to be any uh, regard for God and for the ways of God. Where Christians are frowned upon and, and looked upon as weird, uh, belonging to a bygone era with no relevance. And, and so it becomes so discouraging thinking, well, w w what's happening? Uh, is God still unfolding his purposes, his redemptive purposes? And so the message from this passage is if you find yourself in such a discouraging place, don't give up. Don't give up. This, this message is, is a message to us that we too ought to persevere. God has made promises to Abraham. We've seen some of those promises already coming into fulfillment. The coming of Jesus, the coming of, of the seed of the woman who did bruise uh, the seed of the serpent. In fact, uh, was victorious over the serpent and over Satan. And, and, and we do know uh, that as the Bible unfolds, they do enter the promised land under Joshua. And, and, and God had said repeatedly, I will and, and I will. And, and we're even in a, in a, in a, a place uh, later on in the unfolding of God's redemptive purposes where we, we are under the new covenant where God categorically is, 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 is carrying out that which he promised us in, in I will. God will do. God does do. God has done. And I should have done that in reverse because in the midst of where we are now, God continues to unfold his purposes. God will do all that he has promised. Remember that God's promise is universal in design. This wasn't just some local tribe uh, in the Middle East that... Uh, and some local deity making uh, some kind of undertaking uh, for that particular time. No, there's this ever-increasing spread of God's design for the world, for the nations of the world. You know, even the Israelites were aware of this. Let me read Psalm 72 verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea. That, that's, the, that's the plan. That's the unfolding purpose from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 17. May his name endure forever. It will endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Yes, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. There will be the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. There will be the marriage uh, feast of the Lamb and, and the church. There will be uh, people from every nation, tribe and language before uh, the throne. And, and so it be encouraged. Don't give up. 
Uh, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus came uh, and and to reclaim the, the, the world for the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus died to atone for the sins of the world. And his ascension. He mandates the church to go about the business of making disciples of the nations. And that will be accomplished. That is going to happen. It's going to be a difficult mission. Yes. It is a difficult mission. Yes. But what does God say? What does Jesus promise? I will build my church. And yes, it was difficult for Abram to leave his country. Uh, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to go through the difficulties. Uh, let's remember the Sermon on the Mount and the blessings that Jesus pronounces on those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see the, the upside down, unexpected way in which God works and brings about his purposes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For this is the kingdom of heaven. God's people will receive the inheritance. God's people will enter into his kingdom where all things will be made new. Again, just a passage from Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That is our prospect. That is our destiny, our destination. That's where we're heading. Don't give up. God has promised. God has provided. God has proved faithful. God will do it. In the meanwhile, be to God the aroma of Christ. Making disciples of the nations in what God is doing Calling believers, those of us who are believers, God setting his love upon us, using us as fragile jars of clay. And so to conclude, don't give up. I do pray to this end, Lord, the challenges around us are so many. And it can be so discouraging, the antagonism towards you as God, the antagonism toward the gospel of our Lord Jesus, and Lord, the antagonism against us as your children is prevalent. We feel it, we experience it, Lord, we don't like it. So I do pray that your word would encourage us to spur us on, enabling us to just stand firm, even as Abraham did, by faith, standing on your word, believing your word, receiving your word, in obedience going forward. And so I do commend, especially those who are struggling, Lord, to uh, prompt them with your word through this study tonight, we ask, as you continue with us in this journey of faith, but Lord, with the anticipation of you coming again and, and praying that that day would be soon, asking this in Jesus' name, amen. Just a final slide then, a couple of discussion questions for those who do participate together. And uh, to take a snapshot of that, God bless you, be with you, and have his hand upon you.